Howdy folks and welcome to the weekly dose of Euphoria podcast. For anyone that is new to the show, my name is Matt Zapala and I am your host. I am a qualified personal trainer and currently studying a Bachelor of Health Science majoring in Nutrition. This platform is a judgment-free zone where I engage in thought-provoking conversation, hopefully igniting a spark within you to be happier, healthier, and more conscious individuals. This week's special guest is young cricket gun Jason Sanger. Jason, at just 20 years old, has had so many invaluable experiences, including a first-class hundred against England. I had the pleasure of working with Jason when he was 14 years old at an international cricket carnival in New South Wales. To see him flourish and thrive into the cricketer he is today is extremely fulfilling, and for such a young man, he's so mature and conducts himself so professionally. During today's episode, we unpack the lifestyle of a professional athlete and the mindset involved in preparation and execution of the skills. For any cricket lovers out there, this is a must listen, and if you're not a lover of the game, there are some incredible messages in this episode, including how to control your emotions through even the toughest of times through your breath and executing your skills. I hope you enjoy the show, folks. I'll see you on the other side. Jason Sanger, welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast, mate. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks for having me. Awesome to have you on the show, man. Awesome to reconnect again. I'm um, really grateful I got to work alongside you back when you were 14 years old, working at an underage tournament for Cricket Australia when Australia was versing Pakistan. So it's really fulfilling to see you grow into all the success that you've worked so hard for. It. No, no worries. It seems like a, a lifetime ago now that that uh, that tournament, but um, yeah. Nah, it's good to be back. Yeah, definitely. Just a small little piece of the puzzle in your amazing journey, mate. You're 20 years old and you've you've had some incredible experiences in the cricket field. You know, like you've played first class games, you're representing New South Wales, you've played in the BBL tournament, which is so, so amazing at 20 years old. Should be really proud of that experience, dude. So before we get into all that, I want to bring it right back to the beginning and for the listeners at home, what was life like for you growing up? Yeah, definitely. Um, look, I I grew up in Sydney um, up until the age of about 10. Um, our family decided we'd relocate to, to Newcastle. Um, so, yeah, I guess most of my creating journey really sort of began in Newcastle. Um, and, yeah, obviously Newcastle is a, a bit of a country town, but it's still quite, a, still quite a big city. So there was still a lot of players um, who had come from Newcastle or gone on to play for New South Wales, guys like Mark Cameron. Uh, in particular, um, he was sort of the latest guy who sort of, you know, just finished playing for New South Wales. So, like, a lot of guys like that we always always used to look up to. And I think as a kid growing up, when you're seeing, seeing guys who could go on and play first-class cricket from Newcastle, um, yeah, obviously he was a massive ambition as as any young kid. Um, any young kid who was to play cricket was to play for New South Wales. So, um, yeah, for me, yeah, started back in Newey. Um, yeah, I was quite lucky. I... Um, Actually got picked in uh, first grade uh, for Wall's End um, back when I was about 13. So my first game of first grade against men was when I was 13. So that was quite daunting. But I think the experience I've learned along, along the way playing men's cricket and then, yeah, obviously through the underage systems and um, and then here I am now. So, um, yeah, it's been a, quite a humble journey. I've absolutely loved it. I've had a really great support along the way from blokes like yourself to uh, even my parents. So it's just been a great, it's been a great journey and, um, 
yeah, it's, it's only the start. So, um, yeah, hopefully it continues on. Absolutely, mate. You're still so young and you've got your whole career ahead of you. It's really, really inspiring to see you're so humbled and so passionate about the things that you're doing at such a young age. Now, bringing it right back to, you know, your childhood, who were your idols and who did you look up to at that point in time watching cricket on the TV? I know that's when the cricket dream obviously would have started for you. Um, I guess you could touch on that a little bit more for us, Jace. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, yeah, like like any cricket. Any kid really like for me was watching um, Adam Gilchrist play. I think it was the first time I really saw Cree was watching Gilly, and um, yeah, it was just saw him absolutely like slog sweep. Um, can't remember who it was, but it was slog sweep for someone continuously, uh, and I was just like, wow, that sport looks pretty cool. <laughs> um, so, mum sort of registered me into cricket, and I, and I, I kept playing, um, kept playing. Then I was trying to be everything like Adam Gilchrist was. So I wanted to keep, but then like I did enjoy bowling. So as a young kid, you know, you just want to do everything and. You always you want to be the like the perfect cricketer. So like batting could be like Ricky Ponting, you're keeping like Adam Gilchrist, you're bowling like Brett Lee, and you're spin bowling like Shane Warne. That's exactly like how I try to see myself as a cricketer. You just want to do all these things, and you wanted to you try to model your actions, and you try to model your technique of like how they used to do it, and um, you know you used to go to Kingsgrove Sports and try and get the latest bat. For example, I used to love um, like Gilly. So my first bat was like a Puma. Um, just like how he had it. So, yeah, it's, um, for me, they were like obviously my idols growing up. But then I think as I got older, I think, like I mentioned before, seeing guys like Mark Cameron who had gone on and played for New South Wales, um, Steve Story who played for Queensland from um, – he was from my club back home in, in Newey. Um, Burke Cockley uh, also played for New South Wales. So you, you got to know guys who were – you know, from the area who had gone on to play first-class cricket. And I think you really looked up to those guys because they had gone and done it. And I think, you know, seeing those types of people, you really wanted to, you know, try and, like, I guess the, the, the amount of respect they had in Newcastle and how they were looked looked at um, from a cricketing perspective, I think any young kid was like, wow, like, I hope one day I can be able to get to that level or be in the same conversation as these guys are. And I think... That definitely that's definitely something that drove me. But yeah, when it comes to idols, I think those were definitely my cricketing idols. And I think also I think my dad played a pretty big part as well. I think so. He was obviously he was in the athletics field um, when he was growing up. So I think seeing him sort of train really hard, I think he's always been another idol of mine as well. So still he still is my idol to this day. Really, <laughs> he still beats me in a lot of things in the gym. So it's kind of a yeah, it kind of it kind of brings me back um, a little bit, but um, no, it's yeah. I think those guys are yeah who I was looking up to. Love it, Jason. I think Adam Gilchrist is a really great role model to model your game on. Not only his cricketing ability, because he was my role model um, growing up through cricket as well, but just the way he conducted himself on the field was so professional. I think it's a great model to model your game and your lifestyle on, and then. That goal is somewhere that, you know, every young cricketer wants to do. They want to be on the TV. But I think having goals that are uh, idols that are close to home, like you mentioned, those people that within your community that have done the things that they potentially have done too is a bit more realistic and it makes you work a little bit harder. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think the best thing about it was we – like I got to see those guys on a regular basis. So, like, Mark Cameron was our – I guess he was our, like, Newcastle sort of – I guess, like a regional coach. So he was sort of the guy who would um, coach all, like the, I guess, the next best sort of under-14s or under-16s or under-19s, Newcastle creators. So I think when you – not only did you look up to him, but I think once you also built that relationship, that coach, 
player relationship with a few of those guys, um, yeah, definitely. I think you you could start to like believe, you know, wow, like this is a lot more real than what, what it could be. And I think, yeah, it's as exactly as you said, because yeah, even like I think oh, the first day I got to meet Adam Gilchrist was um, at a at a I was at a scholarship night. Um, when I was about 15 or 16, and I was just like, wow, I didn't know what to say. I was like, you were like my idol. And I think, to be fair, I think most people used to love Adam Gilchrist. I think, not most, I think everyone used to love Adam Gilchrist, especially as a kid growing up. Like, he was, I think, so many kids, um, you know, childhood hero. But, um, yeah, as I said, like, the guys, like, who were coming from my community, and I think seeing them and how they did, and I think not only just seeing them do it, but I think them also providing feedback and, their their experiences on, on on I guess how they went and did it and what they needed to do to make it and I think now how the the pathway system is now structured especially in New South Wales I think it really it really makes country kids um, there's a really big opportunity for country players to um, you know really express and showcase their skills on a national stage um, whereas before. I think it was a lot tougher with guys from Newcastle and guys from the country in general always having to sort of move to Sydney and try and become in Sydney. So uh, it's, yeah, it was very humbling to, you know, those guys come back to Newcastle and you get to see them around and you get to play against them and it was just like, wow, like, you know, it just makes it, um, yeah, it just seems, seems so real. So if they could do it and, and they were willing to give, um, willing to help you um, to be able to reach that goal, then, yeah, of course, it was fantastic. Yeah, definitely, Jason. I guess you mentioned before that you made your senior debut when you were 13. How did you find that you had to mature at a 13-year-old facing, you know, men at that age? How did that help your maturity levels within cricket and within everyday life? Yeah, well, it goes it goes right back to um, one of – I had two coaches um, sort of – I had two coaches that were both uh, from the Walden Digital Cricket Club, and they sort of really helped me um, growing up. And I think – they they saw something that um I could probably I think I just want to give they wanted to give me a bit of a crack and be like oh well this is gonna be really good, really good for your development so let's chuck you in um in first track cricket and like the last that was the first game of the season I played first track cricket and the the last game before that was last season I played fourth grade so I was like fourth grade to first grade was like a massive jump and I was like wow this is like crazy but. They obviously, I think having that belief, they're like, man, I reckon you can go, you can go and play it. And um, yeah, I think that that experience itself, just the that day of going to play first grade cricket with those guys, I saw it because I was like 13 then, so I was still, I was rocking up my whites. Like I came from junior cricket and like <laughs> rocking my whites, and like guys, like men were like rocking like their training kits and like thongs, and I was just like, everyone looking at me is like, geez, this bloke, like this bloke's young. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh man, I, like those days in junior cricket, like under 13s, like you just literally go in your whites and then yeah. you go and play. You know, everyone has like a half semicircle, like one person hits the catches. I was always that guy. I was always like, oh, I hit the catches. And then, yeah, literally going to first grade, literally had the same kit on. So, um, yeah. <laughs> it's a cardinal like, get rocking up in your way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. So, like, for me, like, um, Straight away, I was like, wow, I can't play against men here. Like, these aren't guys who are, you know, joking about, like, Xbox and PlayStation. These are real men. So that was like, that was, that was a, I guess that was an, that was an experience in itself, really. But, um, yeah, I guess just learning how to, like, really just, like, find a way to be able to cope with it, I think, 
the whole, you know, you've got to manage your stress levels, you've got to manage um, your anxiety levels and how everything's going on. And I think that's one part of your game, like the mental side, but also the skill side was, okay, how do I actually like score runs against these type of bowlers and how do I actually try and get in the contest or, you know, try and try and win the game for, this, for our team. So I think that stuff was, I would never be able to, um, think that's right, that stuff really helped me in terms of going to play against men and first-class career was just that initial experience of knowing, okay, like how do I actually go about dealing with this type of stuff? So, yeah. Yeah, definitely, mate. And we're going to touch on the processes that you do um, in order to find a way in those situations. But I guess for the listeners at home that may be unfamiliar with the underage pathway system, can you explain that to these guys and, and explain when it really became a reality for you that, you know, like you could be playing professional cricket here. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess the easiest way to explain it is there's three national tournaments. There's the under 15s, the under 17s and the under 19s. And I guess from my perspective, um, the way I sort of did it, so I got picked for the under 15s, um, New South Wales team. Um, so the under 15s tournament, I think is still kind of run by School Sport Australia, but I think Creed Australia are taking a bit more over it now. But I was fortunate enough to make that side at uh, the under 15s and um, I made the Australian team uh, from that. And that's when obviously we played against Pakistan. Um, and then from there, they I'm pretty sure they still do it, but the, that under 15s national under-15s Australian team plays in the under-17s national carnival. So you've got your Queensland under-17s, your um, WA under-17s. Um, and the best thing about when I was talking about players from the country about to get opportunity now the best thing now is New South Wales and Victoria both have two teams so we have a the ACT and New South Wales country have combined to be one team and New South Wales metropolitan has stayed by itself and Victoria done the same thing so Victoria now have Victoria metropolitan and Victoria country so I think it's fantastic for guys in, in country areas of Victoria and New South Wales to be able to get an opportunity rather than having to go to Sydney and trying to you know, playing into those guys, they can still, if they're still a good enough player and they're from the country, there's definitely a pathway for them. So I was quite lucky. I um, played, so I played two years of under-17s, one for the Australian under, I guess, under-15s, and then um, my following year I played for ACT, as well as country in the under-17s. But, um, yeah, I was lucky enough, so I went from under-15s Australia, played the under-17s, made the under-17s Australian team when I was still 15. Then that under 17s Australian team plays at the under 19s nationals. So straight away you jump in like two years. For me, it was four years above my age, but I was really lucky there. I had some good games. I got picked in the Australian under 19s team from there. So at 15, I kind of went all three, which is, I'm not sure if it's been done before, but I was quite, I guess I just had a couple of good tournaments and I went, yeah, from 15 years of age playing at the under 19s um, nationals, but obviously making the under 19s Australian team. So I went from playing under 15s against Pakistan to under 19s against Pakistan. So that was quite um that was quite a challenge. But yeah, I think the pathway now I think is it's fantastic. I think you've got all these national carnivals, you've got your three big national carnivals that are a great opportunity for young players to show their skills. And I think for guys in New South Wales country and Victorian country as well, particularly New South Wales country where I'm from. Um, it's a great, it's a great way for for those kids to be able to get an opportunity to play at national carnivals. Yeah, definitely, mate. And I guess at this point in time, you're still studying. You're still in high school. So, 
how did you juggle chasing the cricket dream and studying at the same time? I think that's a really important thing that a lot of school kids have to weigh up at this point in time, whether it's because obviously being a, a professional athlete takes an enormous amount of time, dedication, commitment, but so does your study. So how did you juggle those two things? Oh, yeah, that was tough. I think because I was only, um, as I said, I was only 15 when I made the under-19s Australian team. Um, so what, 15 would have been, I think, year 10, I think. Um, so, yeah, like that was kind of, um, I think that was when it sort of first came a bit of reality that, okay, look, I could actually seriously make something from cricket here. Um, I could give us a, a proper crack. And I'd always, I was giving it a proper crack first, but I think I was the first time I felt like I was so close to, um, so close of really, um, you know, getting to that goal. Um, so for me, I, I really found the next two years of school from year 10 to year 12 a really big struggle. But for me, like, oh, I think looking back now, I would never do it again. It was some <laughs> dark times. Like, we was, I remember, like, in year 12 especially, like, I was going from, like, I was waking up, like, most mornings at 6 a.m. and trying to get, like, my run or a gym session done between before school. So 6 to 8 o'clock, like, was, like, my time to get, like, my fitness stuff done and out of the way then school, then I come home from school, I go straight to the SCG, try and hit as many balls as I possibly could in like two hours. So then from 5.30, so sort of 3.30, sort of 6, maybe 5.30, then get home and just like study as much as I possibly could to like 10 and then like do it all again. And I did that for like literally most of year 12 because it was the only way I felt like I could literally try and juggle the, the two. Um, and I think... You know, because I got I got um, I got a rookie contract when I was sixteen. So I think when I first got that rookie, I was like, "Wow, this is like, this is serious. Like, this is kind of like a dream come true to be able to, you know, be a part of the New South Wales squad now." So I think from then I was just like, um, and New South Wales was so encouraging in terms of telling me to make sure I focus on my studies um, because that's the most important thing. But I think when you're like you're sixteen years old, like you, you just sort of like you, you kind of got that dream. You've always wanted to be, you know, play for New South Wales and be there in the New South Wales squad. Like you don't want to ever let that opportunity slip. So for me, it was quite hard to try and juggle the both. Um, yeah, I, I really found it quite difficult. But like, I just had to try and find a way to to be able to manage both of them. So because yeah, it's like tough. Like when you when you get that opportunity at such, such a young age, like. You know, I was so confused. I'm like, oh, you know, like, should I, should I try and keep studying? Or, like, my career dream's, like, just there. I've like, got it now. Like, I can really take this to the next level. And, um, you know, I don't want to ever, like, think, oh, man, what if I didn't try hard enough in career? Because, you know, like, my school was in the way. But, look, I think I commend anyone out there who's in that boat at the moment, like, trying to juggle both. But for me, like, I don't understand. I look back now and I have to understand, like, you know, that was a quite a, you know, there, I feel like the last the last few years of school got to be really enjoyable and I probably didn't enjoy it as much as I probably should have. Um, I was so sort of focused on the cricket side of things and making sure that was like perfect. Um, but, yeah, I kind of really sacrificed a few other things. Um, but, yeah, like I, I look back now and I just wish I probably, you know, probably gave myself a bit of a, you know, take a couple of breaths and just be like, all right, you know what, like, Cricket's there, like New South Wales have been quite supportive. I've got to really enjoy this period of time. It's my last year of school and really, really enjoy it rather than just feel like it's, it's such a burden to like my career career. Yeah, definitely, man. I guess at that age, you sort of just want 
you know, the next 10 years to happen right now. And there's a lot of, you know, the, the cricketing career is quite a lengthy period of time, especially as a batsman. And I guess having that goal that you've always wanted as a kid, it's looking at you right in the, right in the face, you just want to grab it. So, um, yeah, there's no doubt that you did an amazing job juggling both of those things, eh? Oh, definitely. Um, it was just, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough, but, um, yeah, I just, exactly right. Like, and it's one of those things like professional cricket doesn't always come. And I think you've always, when you get that opportunity, you work so hard to get it. For me, it was quite surreal because at 16, like, I was still never thinking about, um, getting a rookie contract with New South Wales. Like I was still thinking about like, you know, the national carnivals and, rep cricket or like my grade club um i was thinking still thinking about those things it's still being like a normal 15 16 year old kid um let alone like you know worrying about um oh you know here's your rookie contract like now this is your job it's like whoa like all right this is like so weird this cricket became for me i I almost treated cricket became like something that was like an escape and I used to just love playing it to like, this is actually my job now. I've actually got to be good at cricket. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, it almost felt like every game I played was like selection. Like, you know, your job, we are paying you now to like score runs. Like this is what you, you've got to do. And for me at 16, like I had no idea how to handle that. And, I, and no one actually, no one ever told me that. It was just the, the pressure I put on myself because of what I, what I assumed of um, how I needed to be. Um, so yeah, like um, it's it, it was tough, but like at the same time, like that's um, to be get a rookie at sixteen, like that was amazing. Like I would never sit here and say like, I wish it never happened. Like that was one of the best. That was the best moment of my life when um you know David Moore, the the general manager at the time, gave me a ring and said, "Yeah, we're gonna get a rookie contract for two years." I was just like, "Whoa!" Like I thought he was joking. I was just like, "All right." Like, I even remember asking him. I was just like, oh, does that mean I can still play basketball? Like, my, my winner basketball comp? Um, he's just like, no, nah, mate. Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even know what he, I didn't know what he meant. Like, a rookie contract. Like, oh, yeah. it's like, what's that? Like, I'm playing, I'm playing for New South Wales now. Like, I'm in the squad. I was still like, it was winter. It was basketball season. I was, I was getting up, like, I was getting ready. I was getting my shots in. I didn't even thought about cricket. And he's just like, yeah, you got a rookie. I was like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> I can't play basketball anymore. <laughs> so like I remember like reading my mates, so I was like, oh lad, like I have to pull out I have to pull out of basketball. Like, what? Like why? I'm like, oh I've got a contract with New South Wales now. They're just like, oh, you take a piss here, that's a joke. And I remember telling the school on like Monday, I was like, no, nah, literally, like, like I'm actually signed. And they're just like, Whoa, yeah, right. So that was uh yeah, it was so weird. Um so yeah, like I, I was still a normal sixteen year old kid, just like, you know, I want to play all the sports and Obviously, I was more into cricket than the other ones, but um, but yeah, like it's um, it, it was it was amazing. But yeah, you've got to be able to juggle both, and yeah, I, honestly, I commend anyone who's like um, like even for example, today I was having a hit and um with one of my coaches and a, and a young guy came down. Uh, he was on the HSD as well, and I was just like, oh man, <laughs> I was just like, I remember those days, but yeah. Absolutely huge, man. Like 16 year old, like you said, you're just a kid. You're so innocent to the world. And then you're stepping into this professional environment. Like, obviously, it's all foreign to you. How did you take that having all those resources at your fingertips? Like you've obviously got their most elite training facilities, you've got their most elite coaches, the elite access to physio and nutrition, all these things that athletes get. How did you, you know, pinch yourself to, to realize that this is a reality? And how did you conduct yourself in that situation? Oh man, it was 
crazy. I remember um, I had two weeks off school and um, in year 11. So I would have got signed when I was in year 11, I think. Um, I can't remember, but I, I think I was in year 11 and I had two weeks off, um, like just like normal school term term break. And I remember this, I was like, come down for a week and, and train with the boys, get to know the lads. I was like, yeah, cool. I was so excited. And I remember, I remember getting there and I remember when I first got signed, I'll never forget the day, like Moses on Reeks. I think, I think I haven't even told Moe this, I don't think, but he, he probably doesn't even remember, but he messaged me on Facebook. He's just like, welcome to the club. And I was just like, remember that day, I was just like, showing my mates, like, boys, look at this, like, Bloody like Moses and Reeks is like message me like how good's this and it was just like I think the lad, I think my my mates were pretty sick of it. Me just like ran like harped on that for like a week. But I remember getting there and like like you know everyone was calling me like oh saying like my nickname and I was just like I was calling these guys by like, their first name like you know these these are guys that I looked up to for so long like literally like say two months ago I was watching like a Shield game with all these guys playing or I was. I remember actually a couple of months before that, our school got to go to one of the um, the one day games that New South Wales was playing, and I was like, "You like literally just like signed my bat like five months ago." I was like a kid on the edge of the fence, and you signed my little bat. Now like we're teammates. Like that took a while to get like to get used to. Like it was actually really weird. I remember. I think probably like. I think it's only been like what a couple of months. I finally called like Moses Moe, like his nickname. I think I'm still dawned with like kind of, you know, a bit scared of calling that. Like these guys are my idols. Like it was so weird. Like all these all these players were like my idols growing up. And I'm just like, man, like this is so weird. Like you like you literally signed my bat a couple a couple months back. And now we're like banting and like, you know, getting around the boys. Like, this is so weird. But I loved it. I was like just like I was just like yeah in a dream I guess but for me that was the hardest part was just that barrier between like you know um these guys were my idols growing up and now like you know it's turning into business and you know like we get into the nets and like um like the balls are running in and I'll just be like wow <laughs> like this is actually like Mitchell's Park like and then it's like 150 and I'm not saying I'm like okay I've got to be, got to be on here like he's, he's actually trying to get me out now like he's, he's, he's like he's on my mate like he's actually trying to you know, he's trying to compete in the nets, and that's the, probably the biggest barrier I had to I had to go with. But then also the fact that, like, okay, like, you know, you're this, you're like the first 16 year old kid who's been signed. Like, you're like the youngest since, don't know who it was, really. I think maybe I think Josh Hazel got signed when he was in year 12 um, as a rookie from New South Wales. But you know, I got signed at 16. When I was in year 11. So everyone's like, all right, well. You know, you've, you've got to be like, I, I sort of put that pressure on myself. Like, okay, I've actually got to be amazing. Like these guys probably thinking like you could, you know, anyone else could have got your rookie contract. You're 16. You're still playing great career in Newcastle. Like, you know, how good are you really? So for me, that was tough because I felt like every training session was like, like a trial game. Like I was, it was like a job interview. Like I had to almost impress every session because I felt like I put that pressure on myself that like I need to be, at a hundred percent the whole time. Like I need to show them that I'm incredible. Like, cause otherwise I felt like they would just, they would just judge me for like, Oh, well, why didn't you tell us pick the 16 year old kid? He's like still in school. Like he, he could have, he hasn't even played Sydney grade cricket yet. Like he needs to go out and score runs in grade cricket, make a name for himself. Then, you know, like the normal way of, of, you know, going through the, going through the, the hierarchy. So, um, that honestly took a while for me to get over. Like probably took me a good, like two years. To probably two to three years to actually really get over that. Like, 
making sure that I was just like, you know what, at the end of the day, I'm going to make mistakes at training. That's fine. It's just like, how do I go on game day? Like, can I keep performing? Can I keep scoring? Because if I can just score runs and do my job for the team and just show that I'm working hard, like I'll gain people's respect and I'll, you know, I've got a point of proof because no one really, as long as you're, you know, as long as you're scoring runs out in the middle and you're doing the best you can, like that's what only, only people can judge you on, on that. So, yeah, it took me a while to get over that. But, um, but yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, it was kind of surreal. Yeah, definitely, Jason. I guess like obviously that internal pressure that you're putting on yourself is is really detrimental and it eats away at you inside. And the realisation that athletes have good and bad days and, you know, that they're working towards being the best version of themselves is something that I guess it takes a lot of time to really adapt into your lifestyle. And, and being in that situation is very, very unique. Like you said, Mitchell Stark coming in and, and he's not treating you like a 16-year-old kid. He's treating you like a 25-year-old grown man. Like you've got to, you know, you've got to be on here. So um, I think that's a really important role in your maturity levels and, and it's definitely developed, helped you develop into the player that you are today. Now, Jace, obviously going through that system, being being involved in the elite levels gave you some opportunities and performing at those opportunities led you to other opportunities such as debuting for your first class game against England in a tour match. Talk to us a little bit about the emotions flowing through your body when you told that you were going to be playing in that game. Yeah, I wish they'd told me um, a couple of days later. I still had two more um, HSC exams. I had legal and business, and I had business the next day, and I remember getting a call on the Monday, and I had business on the Tuesday and legal on the Thursday, and I remember getting called on Monday. Arvo would be like, hey, mate, like, hey, I can't remember who it was. Um, I, I wish I remember, but they're like, oh, yeah, what, what are you up to at the moment? I said, oh, man, I'm just studying. got an exam tomorrow. They're like, oh, right, cool, cool, cool. Mate, I just want to let you know. Um, Friday, you're you're leaving to um you go you pick for the game against England two two um two four day games, blah blah blah, and I was just like oh my god, <laughs> like studies like legal and business, I was not worried about that. I was like okay, so I got to prepare to face Stuart Broad, James Anderson, Chris Wokes. Okay, like I was just like man, like I completely lost track of my exams. I was like wow, I'm like. I got to face these guys and like next week I was like, oh, I haven't even batted properly. Like I'm in the middle of exams. I'm like, you know, my emotions are going crazy. So I'm just like, oh man, like I just wish I got told like Thursday afternoon. I would have just trained as hard as I could Thursday afternoon. But the whole time going to my exam, I remember sitting in my exam block, like, you know, pens like, you know, I, and you know, you may start three hours. I was just like, just thinking about broad or like Anderson. <laughs> so like, a business essay, I'm probably writing like Stuart Broad's name, like instead of like what I actually got to write. Um, or I'm drawing up like fields and like tactics or whatever it is, right? To how I'm going to bowl to Joe Root. But um, like that was that was that was incredible though. Like I remember that was the first time I'd probably um, I was I saw obviously on the rookie then. It was my last year on my rookie, I think. Uh, yeah, it was my last year on my rookie. Um, so yeah, it was just a great opportunity. I was like, ah, right, well. You know, you don't ever get these opportunities to play against these teams. And um, the first game uh, we played in Adelaide, um, I, I got really caught up in the whole, oh, like, what an experience this is. It's a great experience. It's a great learning experience. Um, and I kind of didn't actually have that, like, grit and that, um, that not that anger, but that, I guess, that, that uh, what's the word? That, that I guess, that um, excitement, all that determination. 
yeah, that mentality to be out of um, like actually go out there and, and like perform. I was just so caught up about like, oh, this is going to be a great experience. Like, I can't wait. Um, I get out, I get out, but you know what? It's going to be, it's going to be good fun. It's going to be a great experience. And I was just like, I didn't really perform well at all. Like the first, I think, got like eight and two or something. And I was just like, I remember like, um, it got to the, because we, we flew to Townsville the next game. And I remember, I remember the second ball I got out, like Chris Works, LBW got me out. And I remember just like walking off and I was just like, man, I've had three innings against like best balls. I haven't faced 20 balls against them. I was like, you know, I really should stop worrying about this experience thing and actually try and like, you know, try and score runs. I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do as, as a cricketer. Like, if the coaches ask me, like, how do you, how do you think you went over the last four days? Like, I'm not going to try and tell them, oh, yeah, it was a great experience. They're going to be like, yeah, well, like, do you actually, you know, you, like, do you actually learn anything from it? Like, like one, I guess one part you want to learn something from, but you need to be able to do something to learn off, I guess. Um, so for me, I remember that second innings going out and um, they just sent us in before the end of, end of day's play on day three. So hot that whole day. And um, I remember one of our batters got injured, I think. And he got injured. And um, so I was supposed to bat at five and, and, or six and I got moved to four. I was like, great, here we go. And I think we were, we lost two early wickets and I came in and I just had like no fear. I remember, I think I've still tried to replicate that feeling, that exact feeling of that day so many times. <laughs> like I, that, that was the one time I feel like in my career I had no fear about batting. I just felt like I wasn't going to get out and I just felt like I don't really care who's bowling. I'm just going to go out and play my game. I'm going to try and, you know, try and, I felt like I was getting intimidated by him, so I had to try and put it back on them. And I remember just Overton um, coming around the wicket and just, like, bumping me. And I was just like, you know what, stuff this. I'm going to take it on. And I remember Matt Short, um, the place Victoria and Strikers, he was on the other end. And he was just like, man, like, because I was, I was getting them away. I hit a couple of sixes, just, like, closing my eyes and just, like, swatting at it. And they, were just, they just went. And he remember the look of his face. He was just like, because... I was scoring runs, but he's like, man, this is a bad option you're taking. Like, you're trying to hit Craig Overton off your nose over the stands when there's two guys back there. And I was just like, mate, I'm just like, I just want to, like, I'm just doing it. And I just kept doing it and doing it. And um, obviously, you came back the next day, and I remember just being like, so, like, yeah, so determined and so eager. I was sort of in the zone. Um, I just kept batting and batting and batting. And I was like, man, if I can get a 50, oh, how good would this be? Got to 50 and I was like, oh, I'll keep going for a bit longer. Get to 60, get to 70, get to 80. And then it got up to I was about 90. I was like, wow, I could actually score 100 here. Like, this is pretty cool. And then um, I remember there was two overs before they took, took the new ball on 90 and Joe Root was bowling. I'm like, oh, my God, I've got to do this over. I was like, I have to do this over. Um, and I remember I skied one and it just went over mid-off. was in the ring. It just went over him went for two and I was on about 98. Anyways, I took the new ball and I was like, oh, man, I might get out of here now, 98. Like, what a story. But then, um, yeah, lucky, um, you know, got, got one away. They went for four and, um, and yeah, there was 100. But um, I've been trying to replicate that feeling. Sorry, Jace, talk yeah. to us about the emotions when you, when you got that one away and made you like a 100 at 16 years, at 18 years old, sorry, um, in a first-class game against people that you see on TV. You see Joe Roach or Broad. Like, it's crazy. Talk to us about the emotions going through when you when you made the 100. 
Yeah, it was crazy. Um, oh, man, I had so much joy. Um, there's a funny story about that. Actually, my mum came to watch me um, and um, she had a flight booked at like 3 o'clock or like 3.30. And, um, yeah, I remember, <laughs> I remember so I was on 90-odd and so she had to go. So she was on, like, in the, at the, on her plane, like, literally about to fly out and I was like 96 or 98. And like I took a couple of balls because like they were bombing pretty well, bombing pretty disciplined. So I took I took a while, took a while, took a while. And mum actually ended up there. The flight ended up actually going off, and the lady's like, "Oh, you need to turn your phone off." Blah blah. blah. And um, so mum didn't actually get to see my hundred. Um, uh, she was like that whole trip from Sydney to Towns, Townsville to Sydney. She was like, I was panicking, had no idea what happened. And I was just like, I was, I was in the moment, eh? I was like, Oh, how good is this? And um, so yeah, like it was. I oh, just yeah, it was. It was um. Obviously, it was like surreal, and it was like it was amazing, and it was all these um, like I had so many emotions. But like, I think the biggest one was just like that sense of like belonging. I think um, as young professional athletes, not just in cricket, but I think in all sports, I think when you're coming through the ranks and you know you're up against guys who have been there for a number of years, the hardest part. And I see with the rookies now, like I'm only 20, but like the rookies that come through now as well, who are, you know, sort of like 18, 9, like 19, 18, like you can always see that there's that sense of belonging that they feel like, what do I need to do to be a part of the team or what do I need to do to be able to gain that respect from the older guys? And I think that was the first time I actually felt like, oh, look, I can actually play at this level. Like I can score 100 against the England test bowling attack. Like if I can do that, I can actually play here. And I think... That was the one time I felt like I had gained a lot of respect from some of the other guys, and to be like, oh, you know, he can play at this level. And um, so that was that was the first time I actually had that sense of like, yeah, like that belief and that I guess that acceptance of like, you know, um, or I guess the hype that came with it. But yeah, I guess that that bit of belonging that um I was probably lacking for the first two years as a rookie that I um that I didn't have. Definitely, Jason. That's an important part in a young athlete's career is finding that sense of belonging and, and to experience that, obviously, playing against the most elite bowlers in the world, like yeah. it's huge and, and something that you, you know, commend you for your efforts and your hard work and determination to get to that point, mate. So well done. And then obviously this is a, you've done the process a little bit reversed. After that, you're, um, you're going to debut for New South Wales, which is the step below for lack of a better term um you're playing first class game now you're going to debut for your state for new south wales talk to us a little bit about the the emotions going through your head when you you know debuted for new south wales the actual state team yeah it was was funny i'll never forget it um it was at the adelaide oval and um I cut some Peter Neville presented me with my cat. And, um, <laughs> and I remember, um, <laughs> I'll never forget the first thing he said. Um, he, looked, he looked at my baggy blue and he said, um, you know, there's not many times that, um, you know, someone debuts first class cricket with already a first class 100 to their name. And I pretty much cracked up at that for a while because, yeah, as you said, like it was so weird. Like I hadn't played for New South Wales yet and I had a first class 100. So that was, yeah, it was quite odd. But, um, yeah, like that was um, that was honestly that was such a dream. Like I, I talked about before, like you know the guys of Mark Cameron and Burke Cockley who had gone and played for New South Wales, and I guess the level of respect they had from the community. And I think that was the first time I was like, wow, like all that stuff that I've been training hard, and and of course every journey is so different. But at the end of the day, 
hard work ultimately gets you to um, where you want to get to. And I think that was the first time I was like, wow, like all that hard work I've done um, has really sort of paid off. Um, I guess just in that moment. And um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Like I remember going to, um, you know, every year in the, in the academies, um, the end of 14s, 16s, 18s academies, um, you know, you, you used to always sit down like on, like on like the introduction night and uh, you know, all the guys there, obviously you play with and train with all these guys all year. So, um, but you used to sit down, you used to watch the PowerPoint. You used to always see like the baggy blue. That was always on like, Either like the background of like what the text was, like, oh, this is what our camp outline is, and this is what we're going to do, and this is what our training program is going to be, all the stuff they're saying. Like, I wonder if I'll, I'll actually reach that. And that was the first time I was like, wow, like, you know, um, that actually, like, all those nights, we had those, those camps and those trainings. Um, and when they kept saying, you know, you're going to, we're trying to build you guys to play for New South Wales, um, that was the first time it really sunk in. Yeah, incredible, Jace. I, I'm absolutely baffled by your journey. It's it's been amazing to watch, especially having the ability to watch you as a 14 year old going out and churning runs on the um, underage national level. It's very inspiring to see. Now, I guess at that point, you know, like you're you're a Sheffield Shield, a state cricketer. Now you've got your state contract. This is where it becomes real, and this is where you know you've got to get to work. As you mentioned before, you're getting paid to play and being getting paid to perform. Talk us through what a day in the life of a professional cricketer and what a day in the life of Jason Sanger looks like. Yeah, well, I mean, it's. I hope this life stays forever. I love it. <laughs> I really do love it. It's, um, it is such a privilege to be able to, your job is to go out and play cricket. Like, man, that is, that is the absolute dream. I think anyone who plays professional sport, of course, understands the pressure and the hard work and the commitment you've got and the sacrifice you've got to make to continuously be on top of your game. But ultimately, you know, it, it's sometimes I think we all forget, like especially myself, I forget that you know, I'm one of the most luckiest people. Like I get to do this with my job. Like I'm getting paid to go out and train. They are paying me to be able to, you know, try and reach the absolute full potential that I can be as a cricket player. And so a day in the life really for me is, um, you know, we train for New South Wales. Generally, we train three days a week of skills. So like a Monday, Wednesday and a Friday. Um, we generally have a gym sessions on, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And, and generally, we have one after a, a big skill session, say, for example, on Monday. Um, but along with all the New South Wales training we do, I've always had my own training that I'd like to do as well. Um, for me, I... Just, I just love training. I don't know why, but I just for me, it's like a bit of an escape. So I'm always trying to, if something didn't happen while I training, um, say for example, if I wasn't nailing like my front foot defense or whatever it was, or my bowling was a bit off, like I would always, at the end of training, I'd come home and then I would probably give myself about an hour or two to just freshen up. And then I'll probably go again and try and figure out what was wrong um, and try and, I guess, you know, work on those sort of, those little work ons that I have. Um, so for me, yeah, my life really is just training and training and playing, um, but I enjoy it. So that's the, that's the most important thing. Um, of course, recovery and everything like that is so important and that's something I really wish I was better at. Um, but yeah, for me, um, it's really just training and training and, and yeah, that's just how it is. <laughs> 
I love it, mate. And I guess that recovery aspect is going to come as you mature and, and you get used to life as a professional athlete. You're still very young and you've experienced so many different um, amazing experiences that you'll take with you for the rest of your life. So good on you, dude. And I guess we spoke about your experiences playing um, at the top level and getting these amazing opportunities representing, you know, New South Wales and Australia through underage tournaments. And then obviously playing first class, first class cricket, but we haven't really spoken about the process that what it took to get there and the sacrifices that you had to make, I guess, Jace, what sort of sacrifices did you have to make in that aspect? And do you have any advice for young athletes that are sort of um, in the same position that you are at the moment? Yeah, definitely. Um, look, as much as I like to think I made a lot of sacrifices, I think the people around you probably make the most amount of sacrifices. For me, like my parents sacrificed a lot. Like dad would always, you know, I think he has, I don't think he has a shoulder left, to be honest. He's, he's throwing me that many more. <laughs> I think uh, he sacrificed his right shoulder uh, for my, <laughs> my cricketing career. Uh, but, yeah, like I think uh, my parents sacrificed a lot. Um, they did a lot for me because um, obviously a lot of training when I was going through the ranks ended up being more in Sydney. Um, you know, mum would always drive me to Sydney. She'd just stay in the car and we'd drive back home to Newcastle and, and dad, like, just continuously always training and training and training me. And um, for me, I I don't think there was a day. Like, obviously, there's time you need to have off, but I don't ever remember having a session when I was growing up that, like, you know, I I probably miss like I really like gave it every, all of it every single session that I did and um, the sacrifice that I made whether that was you know missing out on you know, birthday parties or whatever it was like like I said before like when I was in year 12 um, like starting my days at six o'clock and finishing at 10 like I didn't really have time to like you know hang out with my mates and and and, um, and do that but it's funny because I guess it's a fine line between you know sacrificing a lot but also I guess having that balance where you're not like so um stressed out and like creates just not consuming you or, or sports just not consuming you um enjoying the process like enjoying it so like um yeah it's a, it's a good question but I, I think for any like any athletes out there um I think for me I've always had a plan whatever I've done like I even till now like I still have monthly plans um have a big calendar in my um, in my my room. I got like my diary, which I I write pretty much weekly week uh, week to week. Like I write down all my new stuff I was training. I'm going to do, and then I always try and fill in like, okay, what else can I work on? What else am I going to do uh, for training? And and what my month looks like, so I can plan exactly what I want to do and what I want to try and get out of that get out of that month. Um, but yeah, like for, for me, I, I for any young kid, like my experience really was just to try and for me. Like, it was just training. If I can get my training in and I didn't ever want to miss a training day because of something, like if I had plans or, for example, even if it was like um, like on my relative's birthday, like I'd always try to find a way to try and get some sort of training in because um, my dad was always like a very big – I wouldn't say he was a big volume person. I guess the degree he had in athletics, like he was like training like every every single day and he was always telling me like, I guess he was never forcing me to keep training, but he'd always push me to be like, you know, let like like even days I was like cooked. I was like, no way am I training. He'd be like, all right, like like let's just go to the park, we'll just go for a walk and and like kick a footy around. I'd be like, oh sweet. But he was so smart, like he'd always bring my period kit and like a ball. 
He's like, oh, we'll just, 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 we'll just bring it just in case when I have a hit. And as soon as we got to the park and I was ready to go, I was like, yeah, you know what? Like, let, let's have a hit. <laughs> so, like, he was very smart with things like that as well. So, um, like, yeah, he was, he was a genius. Like, he'd always find a way, even when I was really tired. I guess having that um, role model there but, um, to be able to yeah. help you through that situation is incredible. And he, like, obviously knows that as an athlete, you have these days where you're not feeling up to it. But he knew that once you got moving that you'd be up, up to it. Oh, he sort of does that now. Even these days, like when I'm, I'm like, oh, damn, I'm gonna have like a bit of recovery day today. Like, um, I had, a, had, a, had my, have, I've had my hit in the morning. Um, had a big couple of weeks of gym. Gonna give myself a bit of a break. He's just like, yeah, that sounds good. No worries. And he, he'll probably start. And he knows that, like, as soon as he starts, he's like, oh, like, like you want to do a couple sets? And I'm just like, oh, all right. And then straight away, I've done a session. He just, he knows, I guess, what ticks me and what, what happens. I think. I guess that's probably a really important message. I think for all athletes, like I think it's so important to have that someone in your life that's, you know, you can always go to. Um, and for me, I'm very blessed and I've got a lot of people that I can always go to, um, you know, for advice and for help and I guess for training. Um, I just think it's really important. Like I think, you know, being an athlete, you need to have a really good support network, um, you know, of people that really want to invest in your career and, and help you out. And I think, you know, it, when people really want to help you um you know try and reach your full potential like of course like there's no better opportunity than um someone really wanting to help out your career so i think yeah for me that was my dad and there's a, there's a few a lot of other people who have helped me till this day and, and um still help me now but um yeah for me it was always been my dad he's always been that type of person that i know if he's ever if i've ever you know if, if we're ever in the same room something's gonna happen like we're gonna do like max amount of push-ups in five minutes and he'll still beat he'll still beat me or like we're gonna be hit so we're always doing something <laughs> love it mate now i'm really excited to get into the specific specifics of cricket now i think this is a really important question i'm about to ask you jason that's routine at the crease and i think routine in all elements of your life is important but specifically in cricket and more specifically as a batsman what is your routine at the crease and how do you implement you know meditation and breath work to get into the zone to be able to be on song and face you know whatever's coming at your way potentially at 160 clicks an hour yeah that's actually a really good question and i think it's it's an area of my game I've probably only really started to invest in probably the last maybe six to eight months probably. I think we all have our routines, but cricket, the funny thing about cricket is cricket's one of those games where you either have you people like I oh not not so much myself actually. A lot of people would like to think oh this is my routine, but a lot of it's superstition as well. So it's always like a fine line between like oh my routines left pad right pad, you know this glove this glove. But then there's people that are superstitious about that as well. They're like, no, I have to put my left pad on first, then my right pad. So I guess for me, it's always been hard. Like, okay, like what's the difference between having the same routine and making sure it doesn't come with superstition at the same time? But it's it's, a, it's an area of my game I've really probably started to um, look into. Uh, I think all sport really now, which is fantastic, because I think it's a really important space. That probably, I'm not sure about other sports, but cricket where – Cricket is such a mental sport, especially batting. Like, of course, there's going to be times where your skill needs to take over. But at the end of the day, like, it's about managing, you know, your stress levels and managing those anxiety levels and having to be clear. Like, if you're, if you're going to go out and score 100, you need to be prepared to be out of bat the whole day. And how does that work? It's a lot of concentration. So it's about, you know, going for the gears and understanding, you know, what ticks for you and what are the most important things to think about and getting that clarity and managing your – 
your, your levels of stress. For me, my pre-ball routine, um, I guess, has never sort of come – I've never sort of like wrote it down and be like, okay, this is going to be my routine. I'm going to do it from now on. I think it's probably just developed over time. Like I, It's funny because I actually got – someone actually pointed out what my routine was and I didn't even know what it was. Um, someone was telling me that like, oh, Jake, you always look at your grip. Like I always lift my, my bat in the end. I always look at my grip before I tap my bat. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, you've always done that. And I was like, yeah, it's probably true. It's just part of my, I guess, part of my routine. And I think uh, I've just learned over the years exactly what I keep doing per ball, like just what makes me feel comfortable. Like I just want to check my grip because for me, I don't know, I just want to make sure my hand's in the right spot, I'll tap my bat and then I'm ready to go. So for me, I've incorporated that into my routine. Um, I've noticed I always mark center a few times or always mark leg. So I've incorporated that into my routine and, you know, I always like having a song in my head. I like walking around. Um, so I've incorporated all those types of things in my routine. So I think it's about knowing what's, for me, what makes me feel comfortable before facing the ball. Like how can I get myself ready? Like what is it that, that gets me ready? And for everyone, it's so different. Like you see Davey Warner always doing his gloves. Like every ball always doing his gloves. Steve Smith is like, crazy when it comes to like being fidgety like he's always touching different things and he's always getting ready but that's just what makes him feel comfortable and makes him feel ready to go out and face the ball and for me it's that it's that grip it's that marking center it's shrugging the shoulders it's all those types of things that um, make me feel that I'm ready to like get my mind and and um yeah actually just get my mind in the best state to be able to face this next ball Definitely, Jason. I think I really wanted to ask that question because it's something that we can not only adapt if you're playing cricket, but we can adapt it to our everyday life as well. And I'm very big on creating routine and and developing a lifestyle that you can be able to get the best out of yourself and thrive in your body. And I think that begins with a morning routine. And that could be, you know, adapting it personalized to your lifestyle, whether you get up and you have a big glass of water, you do five deep breaths. But at the end of the day, it's the same philosophy. You're getting yourself ready to attack the day, whether you're getting yourself ready to face Mitchell Stark or you're getting yourself ready to to go work your nine to five job. It's the same process. And I think that connecting with your breast is a great resource. And you've shown that that's evident through everything that you do. Yeah, definitely. Like, and I see it. It's it's fantastic. Obviously, being from Melbourne, you guys obviously love AFL. Um, and I don't watch as much AFL, but I'm obviously more into rugby league. <laughs> but um, it's the, the most fascinating one is seeing um the rugby league guys when they when they're going for conversions, and they all have such different routines and how they you know how they try and get themselves in the best state of mind and the most relaxed state of mind to be able to keep the ball through the goals and. It's funny because they actually like hear like crowds like in their head like telling me you know, I'm not going to kick it you know they suck and it's actually really fascinating to like see what players and how they sort of go about managing their stress and their what their routine is before kicking their conversion. So um I, I completely agree. It's such a it's such an interesting um space um for uh, not just like sports players but just for everyday people about meditation and I guess you know that type of stuff. And it's something I really try to implement as a daily routine um, over the over the last course of six months. Um, we're very blessed at New South Wales. We have a psychologist um, who's talked to us a lot about sports psych and um, yeah, to do this type of this type of space because cricket really is now, it's, you know, the guys who are the best in the world, not only are they 
they're only the basic fundamentals they do better than anyone else, but their mind, their mental capacity and their mental strength is so greater than the guys below them. Definitely, Jason. They're getting themselves ready to, you know, thrive and be the best person that they can possibly be, possibly be. And that's a great bit of advice. Thanks for sharing that with us, Jace. Coming to the end of the podcast, I know when I was working for Cricket Australia and we were planning for the preparation ahead, a lot of the people in the office were comparing you to Ricky Ponting. And I've seen that a lot growing up as well. And I think that's incredible. And I would, I would definitely agree with that. How does that sit with you being compared to one of the legends of Australian cricket? Oh, to be honest, I really don't like it. Um, I've never, I've never enjoyed it. I think, you know, Ricky Ponting is the goat of Australian cricket. Um, you know, him, McGrath, Warren, Smith, all these guys, Gilchrist. List just goes on and on and on. And I'm just some bloody twenty-year-old from Newey just having a crack. <laughs> so, like, you know, getting getting those comparisons, I've, I've never really enjoyed them. But um, look, I look, I guess. The way I've probably seen it is there's a lot of other things people could be saying. Um, so I guess getting competitive, getting competitive Ricky Ponting or getting called the next Ponting, um, that's a lot better than I guess what some other people probably cop in the media. So um, I'm happy to cop that. But, yeah, look, it's, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's obviously an amazing to be even in the same sentence as, as those legends. But, yeah, look, I'm nowhere near. I'm nowhere, nowhere, nowhere near that um, that level. But look, hopefully, um, yeah, look, I'll just keep trying to play my best cricket, and I guess things things will happen. Things will go where they do. And you know, I've, it's another thing. Like I've I've had that type of heart dealt with since yeah, I was like 15. So for me, um, yeah, I've probably just I've been compared to all these people throughout my career and I think it's I think it's great that people are taking a really a real interest um into the way I go about doing things and um yeah it, like it's 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 really humbling but at the same time I've got to understand as well that you know like I'm I'm not trying to be the next Ricky Ponting I'm just trying to be myself and Ricky Ponting I've had the pleasure to meet Ponting once or twice um after BBL games and like wow like man like I told you before about when I got to meet Gilchrist, but me and these guys as well, it's like I'm still a kid when I'm meeting them. Like, wow, I'm still like a kid on the fence that like, wants an autograph. Like, it's funny. Like, we finished up for a BBL game and, you know, we're going around the boundary. We're signing kids' bats and signing their shirts and getting photos with them. But, like, when Ponting's in the – when Ponting's on the field doing, like, commentary for, I think, Channel 7 during the Big Bash, like, I want to be that kid. Like, I'm waiting there to get my bat signed off him. <laughs> Um, like, yeah, Ponting, can you sign my shirt? Like, my undershirt? <laughs> so, like, you know, literally, like, how it is. Um, but, look, yeah, obviously, you, you always have the good with the bad. And, um, yeah, like, I think it's it's um, it's very humbling. But, yeah, at the same time, I'm, I'm nowhere near. <laughs> I'm nowhere near that level. But, um, yeah, it's – hype's just one of those things um, I've probably learned to deal with a bit better. Um, obviously, last year, like, I didn't play that many games at all. So, I probably copped the other side of it as well. And during the Big Bash, I um, – had games where I was I wasn't performing at all, and I probably copped another side that I hadn't seen because, as you said, like I was being compared to these people, and then suddenly after my first game in the BBL, I get sixty not out, and then I started, I, I struggled um, towards the back half of the season, and suddenly people were saying other things, and I was like, oh, I'll probably do this, but you know what? Like that's just how it is, and you just got to be able to deal with it and move on. Definitely, it's all part and parcel with being an athlete. Unfortunately, that everyone's got. 
entitled to their own opinion and sometimes for their not the greater good and they're really negative in that approach but I guess still narrowing in and still um, knowing that you've got a job to do and being comfortable and knowing your ability is something that um, athletes really really are learning along the way. Yeah definitely it's um, I think as an athlete um, especially in today's generation it's it feels like it's big brother like someone's always watching and you've got to always be in your best behavior and you've always got to be you know you've always got to be that perfect, that, almost that perfect person. But, like, there's always going to be people out there that are, that are going to doubt you and the critics. Um, and, like, hats off to them. Like, there's so many players out there that are genuinely terrific blokes and such good players and, you know, people always, media's always going to have a bit of a crack and they've got this persona um, about them. Um, like, yeah, it, it is what it is and you've just got to be able to take the good with the bad, really. Um but it just shows, like, you've just got to worry about yourself and what you're trying to do and, and um, how can you win games for the team. And at the, at the end of the day, the most important opinion that matters is probably your teammates. Um, you know, if they're as much as people are going to criticise you, they're the one people, they're probably the, the one, I guess, group of people that know exactly what you're doing, like how hard you're training and how hard you're giving into the team. And if they're appreciating your efforts and they know you're giving it a crack and they're happy with how you're going in the team and that's really all, all that matters. It's a great little philosophy there, Jason. You're so humbled in your approach, mate. I love your answers. Now, obviously still being so young, being 20 and have accomplished so much, I'd love to know what your future goals and ambitions are. Um, so my, I guess, I guess my future goals um, really, I guess it, it, it's, um, it's hard because I'm, I'm only 20 and, and I, I do want to accomplish a lot um um in my career but um just yeah I, I i guess it's it's a it's a it's a funny one because i'm always like thinking okay like i want to get my baggy green and i want to play 100 games for new south wales and i want to eventually be one day the leading run score in the bbl or and there's all these things that i always think about and it's a fine line i've always been wondering like should i think about those goals or should i just try and be the most complete cricketer that i can be and if i know if the best version of myself as a cricket player, if I reach my full potential and my full potential is to play 71st class games for South Wales, then like if that's what I think is the best version of myself and I couldn't have been a better player, then I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Like at least I gave myself the best opportunity and I, and I didn't, um, didn't take any shortcuts and I gave everything a really hard crack. So I guess for me, that stuff is so out of my control, like the getting picked for teams and, I guess you can only put your best case forward and it's, um, you know, you can only have so much in your resume if you, you can only worry about what you put on it. So for me, if I, if I'm winning games for New South Wales and I'm scoring runs and I'm taking wickets and I'm doing my job to win, doing my job for the the team to win, then for me, that's, I guess, how many times can I keep, I guess, replicating those performances? How many more games can I keep winning for New South Wales? How many games can I win for Sydney Thunder? Um, you know, if the coach asks me to bowl, for example, he tells me, he tells me I'm going to open the bowling uh, as a different option. We're going to start with the first over in the, you're going to bowl two overs in the power play. If you can try and get a wicket, that's what we're after. And I think if I can go out there and I get a wicket, then I feel like, you know what, I've done my job. Like he asked me to do something, like I did it. Or even if he said, if my goal, for example, was to be the leading run score in the BBL and 
you know, I'm batting at five and six. It's quite hard to be a leading run scorer at number five and six. But if the coaches wants me to, if I have three overs left and I need, you know, a certain amount of runs to win or I'm trying to close out an innings and my strike rate's above 150 and I've got the team total from 150 to suddenly 170 or 175, then I think that's a, for me, that's a really great, that's a really good game. Like I might only score 20 runs, but for me, I, and, and we're saying we end up winning by 20, then for me, that's like, that's something I've done for the team. Like I can judge myself in that performance in that moment, how I responded. So it's, it's a good question because I think you've always got to have goals. And for me, of course, there's that, those goals, those long-term goals of, you know, playing cricket for Australia and getting those recognitions to know that, you know, I was good enough to play test cricket for Australia. I was good enough to play T20 cricket for Australia. I was good enough to play one day cricket. But at the same time, um, I guess my, my immediate goals and what I'm trying to really focus on is trying to be the best version, the most complete cricketer I can be. And if I can keep doing that and reach my full potential, then uh, I would like to think that hopefully um, that other stuff will take care of itself. That's a really, really great answer there, Jason. You know, we speak about it a lot in cricket, controlling the controllables. And, and that's something that you're definitely doing and setting goals based on things that you can control is really, really important. I think both as an athlete and as an everyday person and, and the rest take care of itself, like you said. Yeah, exactly right. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing. I, I, goal settings I've always loved. I've always loved goal setting and I've always loved providing exactly what I need to do and, and uh, where, where I want to be in five years. And I think that's a really important thing. Like where would I like to be in a couple of years time? And, and I think for me, I, I've always kept that in the back of my mind. You know, in three years, at, tw- at 23, like where do I want to be with my career? Um, you know, how many games would I like to play for New South Wales or where, where would I like to be in, in, that, in, that, in that time frame? So I guess for me, I'm always seeing that, like where would I like to be in three years? But I've never put my finger on a certain um, thing I've wanted to do only for the fact that I, you know, for me right now as a 20-year-old, I'm just trying to, make sure I can be the most complete cricketer. And if I can play a whole game, a whole shield season and score as many runs as I can for the team or do my job for as long as I can, then, uh, yeah, hopefully things will take care of themselves is what I'm after, yeah. Love it, Jace. Coming to the end of the podcast, mate, I've um, really enjoyed interviewing you and, and listening to your responses and how mature, you know, some of these responses and some of your mindsets are as a 20-year-old. It's incredible, and I have no doubt that you're going to be up to some amazing things, and I look forward to watching this space. Now, just to cap off the podcast, mate, we'll have a little bit of fun. You've got three seconds to answer these questions that I'm going to give you. Awesome. All right. Good to go, mate. Coffee or tea? Uh, tea. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Yeah. Controversial opinion there. Feet for hands or hands for feet? Feet for hands or hands for feet? Yes. Uh, feet, feet, no, hands for feet. Hands for feet. Yeah, hands for feet. We'll just say that. Something you can go and think about later. Live forever or die tomorrow? <laughs> oh, I'll live forever. If you could make a 200-run partnership with any player in the world, who would it be? Oh, jeez. Um, A.B. de Villiers. Nice one. Would you rather bowl 160 Ks an hour or stay as a batter? Oh, 160. Everyone's scared of you when you're 160. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Funniest teammate? Funniest teammate. Um, oh, this is good. Um, Harry Conway, New South Wales. He no. is ridiculously funny. <laughs> Weirdest teammate? 
Uh, probably myself. <laughs> <laughs> like that, like that. And who's your biggest inspiration, mate? Uh, I'll say my dad, definitely. My parents, but yeah, my definitely my dad. Love it, Jace. Thank you so much for your time today, mate. It was awesome, like I said, watching you grow up to be such a mature athlete and person, and I look forward to watching this space and seeing what you can accomplish in your career, mate. Oh, you're a legend, Matt. Thanks thanks so much. Absolutely loved being here. And um, yeah, thanks for taking such interest in my career. It's really uh, been very appreciative of that. Well, there you have it, friends. That is what the lifestyle looks like for a professional athlete. Jason, I can't wait to watch you in action this summer for the Sydney Thunder and for New South Wales. I wish you all the very best in your career and thanks for coming on the show. Guys, if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to head over to iTunes, subscribe and leave a rating and review for the weekly dose of Euphoria podcast. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to me. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you on the show next week, friends.